As developers, we're on a constant quest to do things more efficiently. Find out how to decrease your developer time and maintenance on this episode of Breakpoint. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and of course, all of you curious individuals, which I say with the utmost love and respect, welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. In this episode, I have got a newbie from our ServiceNow ranks, Julia Perlis, Principal Product Manager, and she is here to talk about Decision Builder. Now, if you're not familiar with Decision Builder, I highly recommend you go and watch our Creator Toolbox episode from November 12th. 2021. You can find that at devlink.sn slash YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find it easily, but that will give you a good background of what is decision builder, what are decision tables, but I want to discuss those anyway. Before I get to that, let's introduce our guest. How are you today, Julia? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Welcome to Breakpoint. And before we begin, I always like to get to know our guest a little bit. So please do your elevator pitch. All right. Great. Well, let's see. Um, I always tell people the most important thing about me is that I'm a Canadian. So apologies for the about that will come throughout this podcast. I grew up in Toronto, but I actually live in Chicago now. So that's that's where I'm talking to you from now. So so you're going to pick up some Chicagoisms mixed with Canadianisms. This will be this will be fun. I hope I don't get that Chicago A. I've been here for four years and so far it hasn't rubbed off on me. But, you know, when you move to the U.S. right when you're 18, you start to lose the Canadianisms pretty quickly because uh, your classmates don't look too kindly on you saying sorry when you bump into them. <laughs> Um, so I've been at ServiceNow since September 2020. Um, I prior to ServiceNow was in was in grad school and business school and actually interned at ServiceNow during that summer. So I got a chance to spend a nice normal summer in our Santa Clara office back in 2019 <laughs> before joining remotely in 2020 um, as a as a senior product manager. And prior to ServiceNow, prior to grad school, I was working at a small social enterprise for a few years. Um, building custom applications for nonprofits. So a lot of like program management, application management, grant management, that type of thing um, on another SaaS platform, which shall not be named here. Um, So I I have acutely felt the pain of being a citizen developer and trying to, you know, convince people to use things that you think are useful and then realizing that you didn't actually listen to what they needed. So um, all my empathy waves go out there to the developers in our audience. I think every developer has had that at some point. They're like, this would be really useful. Why isn't anybody I using it? Cool this is. Well, the experience is terrible or the performance is bad or... We built this backwards. I do this before this. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't had that experience, you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then what else? On the On the personal side, I did some pretty... Typical COVID things, I adopted two cats uh, in 2020, so apologies if you hear them in the background. They are very high maintenance, Um, and I became an avid jigsaw puzzler and watched, you know, way more seasons of old Survivor than I want to admit here. Uh, You and my wife will have to get together on the puzzle thing. Our our dining room table is regularly filled up with a partially completed jigsaw puzzle, especially when family members come over. Yeah, I took a break for a while when I had kittens, but now I, I expect them to be better behaved. Every once in a while, they just knock all the pieces on the floor. But... Yes, they're helping and 
cats and jigsaw puzzles generally don't go together well. You have to have a jigsaw puzzle room with a door that <laughs> keeps the cats out. All right, enough about cats and the internet. We've, I think our ratings just went up for that alone. I know, I think we're going to get some good SEO traffic from that conversation. You're assuming we have a transcript of this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start with decision tables. You are the decision table goddess, as I understand. Apparently, I've been You crowned. are the principal product manager, so congratulations for that title. <laughs> yeah. Let's explain to the listener a little bit about what decision tables are, why they want to be using them, all that goodness. Absolutely. So I, I like to think of decision tables as the greatest thing you didn't know you needed. Um, I think that it's one of those features in our platform that, you know, it, the functionality launched in Madrid um, and it's been there and been helpful for those who find it. But we really, in the last year, put a concerted effort into bringing it to the surface in terms of user experience and usability. Um, but the way I would think about the value of a decision table is you know, I'm sure most people on uh, listening have felt the pain of trying to build a flow or write script. And there's all of these specific conditions and if statements and else statements. And, you know, your flow that you thought was going to be five steps is now 30 because you need a whole separate branch for if the person who submitted an application record was in North America or if they were in Europe. Um, and, you know, you want to approve things automatically if the cost is under a hundred. And if you, if it's over a, that 10, a thousand, you want to take it through one path. So we have all of these applications that we've all built that have all of this hard coded logic, mm -hmm. you know, all of this, these thresholds, these policies, these really business business rules, business logic. I can't say business rules. It has dual meeting and service now, but if you took your brain outside of service now, you would call it business rules. Right. Kind of that, you know, if this, then that type of logic built in. And when we build that directly into our flows or into our applications, we run into a few problems. Um, and I think everybody's probably felt this pain. One of those is that it can become very unwieldy to open something and figure out what's going on. You look at it and realize like, let's say based on a user's geography who submitted something, you want to set a specific field value. And then all of a sudden you have 20 actions and you've set the field value 20 separate times, depending on the path you've taken. So you're really only doing two steps, but it, it becomes this like expansive experience that's hard to, hard to follow. The other thing is that it is a pain in the neck to make changes. So if you had an example that we were talking about around you know, if if a cost amount is less than a, a certain percentage or a certain value, or you know, you want to apply certain tax percentages to certain characteristics of a user or something, as soon as that changes, you need to figure out where is everywhere that you had that that logic written. You need to go through the process of reading your whole flow or reading your script, making those changes, and then going through a whole release process to get that flow updated and, and, you know, pushed out again. So there's, there's a lot of burden that can go into managing logic on the platform, which is a long preamble to say that the goal of a decision table is to separate out the logic from the application of that logic. So you use a decision table to keep track of 
what information do you need to make a decision about? Mm-hmm. So it might be a user record. It might be an application, a custom record. It might be a request. It might be an incident. Then what characteristics of that do you want to evaluate? So if you're talking about making decisions on a user, you might say, I want to look at the user's location. I want to look at their level of seniority. I want to look at their department. And based on all of these combinations of those characteristics, I want to spit out what the result should be. So if you're talking about priorities, for example, based on when this is true and this is true and this is true, set it to priority one. And based on when this is true and this is true and this is true, priority two, et cetera. Or if we're talking about a tax example, you know, when the when a customer meets category X and Y, set the rate to 10%. And when they meet A and B, set the rate to 20%. And you manage all of that in a table that exists independently of where you need to use that logic. And then for something like Flow Designer in a flow, if you want to do all of that routing or use your logic, you can then, instead of building all those if-else statements, just use the make a decision logic action. And that is so powerful. You have one step in your flow that references that specific decision table that you created. It asks you, you know, in the example we were describing around taking in user information, it will surface that input and say, okay, show me where I should pull that customer data from. And then pulls it in, evaluates it through the table, runs it through each row of your table sequentially. And you can set some parameters. You can say, I want to find every row in my decision table where all my conditions evaluate to true. Or you can say, go through these decisions one by one. And as soon as you get a result, stop. That's the result I want. And you then have the power to do what you want with that result, with that logic, whether that is creating branches for every possible answer, or whether it's just saying, I now have this value and I want to use that value dynamically in the next step of my flow. I am looking at this as as a way to reduce technical debt. So you're not, you said you've decoupled the rules for this logic from the actual logic itself. And, exactly. and most notably is in Flow Designer. I believe you can also use an API to take advantage of your anywhere, dis- anywhere you're writing script, you can okay. call decision tables by an API. Aside from the, the technical debt, it's also a reduction in organizational debt because you can now delegate the management of those rules to whoever's got permission to that table. And say, look, exactly. if you want to change the airline points values for silver, gold, platinum, and diamond airline travelers and suddenly add in, oh, it's not just points, it's money. And the money has changed this year. And it's like, fine, go do that, but don't bother me with the release yeah, schedule. You do that. Don't disrupt my work. <laughs> and that makes the developers more productive. You can get more, the, the company's going to get more value out of you. You'll get more job satisfaction because you're not doing mundane things like, oh, I got to go change this flow again. Exactly. Well, and I, I think about it as like the right people doing the right things. There you go. You know, like a a developer who's building a flow is not the person who's going to be the expert in where do we need to build in exceptions to our priority sorting. You know, they're not going to be the expert in what specific criteria determine eligibility for a program. There's going to be someone on the process side or on the business side who owns that logic. And the more we can provide tools for them to own that practically, not just conceptually, the more time we save for everybody and the, the less friction there is 
within organizations. And also logic is, is business critical. So when logic changes, you need to be able to propagate those changes through your systems quickly. And by doing this work to make decisions as user-friendly and accessible as possible, we're trying to remove some of that you know, burdensome back and forth that creates lags and, and can ultimately create you know, end-user confusion or inefficiencies from a business standpoint. So this is this last year in working on Decision Builder, which we'll talk more about, um, and obviously the original work on Decision Tables starting in Madrid is an effort to really try to start creating those purpose-built tools. And, you know, I, I think it came through implicitly, but explicitly, if you're using a decision table to manage logic in a flow, and let's say you have your make a decision step, and the next step is, you know, set some set some field values on a record and you just continue with your flow. If your logic changes, your developer doesn't even need to know. Right. Their flow does not change. It stays the exact same. Long-time listeners will know this mantra well, data-driven design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that will save you more maintenance down the road than, than you can count. And I know there's probably people with their hair on fire going, wait a minute, you're telling me that, that people can make these decision table changes in production? You don't have to do that in production. You, you may want to test your new logic or uh, potential logic in a test or QA environment first. Yeah, and I, I would call out that we're on a um, we're on a journey here, <laughs> and the first step of that journey is building tools that are friendly to all levels of developers because there really is a different level of experience and governance needed to create a fully welcoming and safe space for business users to be plugging in and owning this. Um, and we'll talk in roadmap, but that's where we want to go. But you yep. know, if you're if you're a business user, you don't want to be in a subprod environment. You want to be able to like suggest changes or make changes in production, have that go through like a draft and approval and testing process. So there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to go along with decisions for it to get to the point where it can be as incredible as we know we know it can be, but we think that we've really started in the right place and are excited about where to go with this. Now, in the past, before we had decision tables, I often built something very similar where I build a table use a condition field on there, and then use the glide filter check record method. I think there's a couple of other new ones that you can use if you've got numeric values and whatnot. But that saved me a lot of time. I've I've done implementations for customers over 10 years ago that have never bothered me again because it's all data-driven design. But now I'm looking for opportunities where I can take those legacy tables because there was always a little bit of script on the back. It says, hey, there's a business rule, and I want you to go check if this new record matches any of these rules and apply the airline points or whatever it is that they should have. Uh, and I'm looking for those opportunities. Is that a, a, a reasonable transition to make, to go from my home-built condition field-style conditions to a decision table? Um, intuitively, I would say yes. Specifically, I would say, let's get back to you on that. <laughs> Obviously, we don't have a way to convert script into, you know, flows. That would be some nice no. magic. No, I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to be like a snap of the fingers <laughs> and then you flip a switch, but I think it's the right, they're conceptually aligned. So, you know, if you want to go and take a look at the old flows you've made, I think that there wouldn't be a big logical leap to make to say, let's upgrade to this new way of doing things that we're going to continue investing in and, and has more durability um, for the future. 
I think mentally it's my own handicap that I naturally go to what I've been using for the last, you know, 13, 14 years that, oh yeah, I'm going to do some rules-based data-driven design, glide filters. Like, no, no, Chuck, stop, stop. Yeah, absolutely. I think it works in my favor that I'm a pure citizen developer through and through. <laughs> I'm like either a citizen developer or business analyst, and now I'm a product manager. So it's, uh, I think my bias helps a lot of the customers we're trying to build for right now. So we've identified what decision tables are. You know, it's a table with rules and inputs and outputs, and you can implement these in Flow Designer or from script. We recently, what was it, Rome? We came out with Decision Builder. So technically, Quebec and Rome, we released our first version in September 2021 and then released the first, I would say, more real version with support for Quebec and Rome in, in October 2021. Okay. So tell us about Decision Builder. What does that get us? Yes. So Decision Builder is, um, well, decision tables are super powerful, as we've learned. Um, but if you were to look back before last fall, you would try to find your decision table and realize that it is a collection of records with no table. <laughs> um, so the the architecture, the structure, the implementation has been there all along, but that desirable table user interface that is familiar to folks who have built decision tables in the past, familiar to people who hear the name table and expect to see a table, um, is really what we have been focused on with Decision Builder. And so a decision table has a few different components. Um, and we set out to build an intuitive experience for creating decision tables and managing those different components. So, you know, the first thing you do, obviously, you define your properties. What's the name of the table? What's, you know, what scope is it in? What should, where should it be accessible sure. from? And then you need to set out what your inputs are for a decision table. And I think of those as input variables. So kind of if you're used to subflows, you create that container space, say, what field type am I looking for? And if it's a reference, you know, what table is it, am I expecting a record from? And that's that input is where you hook your decision table into your flow or into your script. Um, that's that kind of handshake section. Mm -hmm. Then you have a whole section on in Decision Builder to build the actual table. And you do that saying, what are all of the different parameters of that input? What are the different criteria? We call them condition columns that you're going to look at to make a decision. And then what are the result? What is the result or what are the results of that decision in terms of type of result? So an example would be you want to make a decision when an application record is submitted. Let's say someone has a custom app, they're doing um, loan applications. Mm -hmm. And so their input would be a loan application record. And then they might build a decision table where one condition column is looking at the country of the person who submitted that loan application. So you actually have the power of the platform at your fingertips. You can, when you're creating those condition columns, use the dot walking capabilities to right. build those columns and say, you know, it's not just that you can look at details about the application. You can expand as many levels as you need to, to say, looking at this application, what's everything in the universe of, of information around it that we want to evaluate to determine eligibility, for example. 
And then there's all sorts of, you know, fun little widgets. You can easily add as many rows as you want to your decision table. You can add rows between rows. You can drag and drop your rows up and down. Um, as we talked about, the sequence of rows in a decision table is significant in a way that sequence doesn't usually matter in tables. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the first things we thought about is, you know, if, if someone wants to execute their decision table sequentially, we need to make sure they can actually define that sequence easily. So you'll find that there's really user-friendly, easy to use drag and drop capabilities. For Instead the of an order field where you're yeah. not even sorting on the order field. Going. <laughs> Just painful, painful order field that <laughs> trying to change all of your records and I mean, I, I was trying to create an old and new decision table yesterday, just for an illustrative example, and realized that when you were creating the old ones, every decision you made, you're creating a condition expression, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you have to go through that drop down where you say, like, open it, and then you have to show related fields on the application, and then you have to oh, open it again. Then you, right. the, then you have to show related fields on the user. And it's super powerful, but it takes forever. And so we really, I, I'd like to think made some leaps and leaps and strides on how fast and easy and desirable it is to be creating decision tables. And we've, we've done things like that before with data pill pickers in ATF or flow. So it's, it's a, it's an easy concept for people to go, Oh, I'm just going to keep dragging and hit the Chevron. And yeah, it's, it's a good pattern to follow. So although decision builder is fairly new, I heard that it's backwards compatible with the tables that were built in earlier releases. Is that still true? That is correct. Um, So Decision Builder V1, which we released in September 2021, and and V1.1, which we released in October, are both compatible, are compatible with Quebec and Rome. Um, And when we did the first releases on Decision Builder, it's a store application. And to start with, we really approached it with Look at this powerful backend capability that we already have. Let's build a UI layer on top of it. So everything we built in our initial release of Decision Builder is a UI capability and the ability to add some structure around having those condition columns. But it's not, there's nothing that's disruptive to any existing decision tables um, or any of the tables that like in the global scope that exist in our in our prior releases. And then we'll talk about San Diego, so I won't get into it, but San Diego is the first time that we started making any adjustments to the actual architecture behind decision tables, but we did it in such a way that there's no, you know, nothing's going to break. It's just uh, making some tweaks to add additional features going forward. Very nice. I like the, the advantage of being able to apply this to tables and whatnot that have been used before. Is it possible to install this next version of Decision Builder on an older instance, or is it San Diego specific? San Diego specific. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that for the listener. V2 will be San Diego specific. Speaking of V2, you said it's a store app. What is What are some of the highlights of this next version, and when is it coming out? Yes. Great questions. Very excited about this. I think V1 felt like a massive step forward from having no UI, but V2 does also feel like another big jump forward in functionality. So you can look for Decision Builder V2 on the store come March 24th. I believe that's a Thursday. Um, So coming soon to the ServiceNow store near you. And there's a few key features that we'll be adding in there. The first is around 
Well, the first two are around the results, decision results. So if you've used decision tables before, you'll know that right now, um, each individual decision, so each combination of specific logic can only have one result and that result has to be a, a, ref, a record. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if you think about it visually in a table, you have all of these different columns for the different conditions you're evaluating. And then you could only have one result column and that result column had to be a reference column. So you had to point to a specific table and say the result of this decision, if it evaluates to true, is this record. So in a way, you needed a secondary table to get the results, even if it was, hey, you've got, you know, here's your interest rate on this loan, or this is your airline status. Having that secondary table works great if you're trying to choose a group, like a cis user group or something, where you were already going to use a reference record. But to your point, if you want to set a discount percentage, you would need to create a custom table where each record in the table is a different discount percentage. So that's you know, you're, you have to get out of the tool. It's unnecessary burden. You're also using a custom table that you don't really need. It may impact um, your licensing. Yeah. So one of the, one of these features that we're releasing in San Diego is the ability to have non-reference results. So instead of requiring your result to be a record, you can now have results that are string, that are integer, that are decimal, that are choice. And you can create your own choice list for that um, or that are reference. A one column table just isn't that functional to me. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you you it, it gets the job done, but it's so many extra steps right. to get the job done when you don't need it. No, that's cool. That's good stuff. I'm I'm excited about that. Uh I you mentioned the the decision columns on the decision yeah. table. Are those anded together or is it a logical or or can you set either or? They are anded together. Okay. Important note for all you logicians out there. Exactly. So if you need ORs, you have to add rows and just have more more decisions in your table. And the reason, there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that it becomes insanely complicated so quickly if you start to end an OR between columns. Yep. Um, and the second reason is that decision tables are, there's an industry standard for what a decision table should and shouldn't do. And we prioritize the user experience over following every one of the rules for what things should be labeled or exactly how it should be structured. But at the core, when we're when we're providing a decision table, we want it to align with what you expect to have in an experience with a decision table, which is ending between columns. Anything else in San Diego you'd like to showcase? We've got a couple other headline items. Um, so again, on the results front, I mentioned results that are not references. We are also adding the ability to have multiple result columns. So previously, one decision, one result, that result had to be a record. Now, that's nice. One or more results, results don't have to be referenced. So you can think of, I mean, there's so many examples of where this could be useful, where you used to have to duplicate your decision table if you wanted two things to spit out. But let's say now, you know, you want to choose an assignment group, you want to set something to a specific priority level, which is a choice field, and you want to add a note that goes into additional comments. You can do all of that in a single row of your decision table now. I like it. What else do you have that make me salivate? (laughs) Well, the last big piece is kind of two together. Um, We've added support for delegated development. So any of our delegated devs out there who are working on specific applications can now 
have access to decision tables. And we did that um, in partner with the other initiative, which is integrating into App Engine Studio. So now for all you AES users out in the crowd, um, the section that used to just contain your flows and was the automation section, I believe you've probably already seen if you're on newer versions that it's logic and automation. And you are now able to create a decision table for your AES app from within AES. So really keeping that all contained in that low code citizen developer experience. More AES goodness. I like it. So yeah, that, that kind of rounds out the, the headline items for San Diego. And what's on the roadmap? We got we to gotta look ahead, give these people a teaser. <laughs> All right. So if we're talking future, future, um, the, the big thing that we are working on right now is, um, is the ability to edit your decision table or populate your decision table in Excel. Ooh. Um, and obviously safe harbor on when that lands. But one of the things that we've seen is decision tables can be used for small scale decisions. You know, you might have 10 rows and that's a really powerful piece of logic for you. And you're just managing a couple cost thresholds. You might also be trying to incorporate a whole bunch of tax code logic and you have a, you know, 200 row, thousand row decision table. And as much as we're proud of the user friendliness of this tool that we built, we're not trying to rebuild Excel. Um, we're not trying to become a spreadsheet tool in our UI. And so we want to give our users and our customers the ability to work in whatever interface is most appropriate for the, the type of job they're trying to do. Um, and the other thing that is great about offering that edit and Excel feature, and it will be gated. So you'll have to create your structure for your table, create those condition columns, create the result columns, create the inputs within Decision Builder, um, where you have that connection to your ServiceNow system. Mm -hmm. But you can add, delete, rearrange all of your rows within Excel. And it, it it's the starting points of creating those better points of collaboration between developers who at this point might own the decision table, but also a business stakeholder who may want to look at that thing in Excel and say, oh, no, it should be reordered. The results should be this. Um, so it is hopefully starting to bridge that gap and, and create some good entry points for those business stakeholders who do ultimately own logic. And we've already got a, a similar process with easy import in that you create your table and then you say, I want to export an Excel as a template. It tells you, this is the columns I need filled in. And you come back to me with the data and I'll re-import that because it's already in a fixed structure. You're not trying to do transform maps or any crazy import stuff. Exactly. It's very straightforward. So yeah, I could see this where you're building your decision table, like you said, and the columns and the inputs, and then you export a template for Excel and it goes, great, fill it out and hit the import button later. And, and it sucks that all in. That's really cool. Now, in our video last November, when we, when we were showing off Decision Builder on Creator Toolbox, you had made a comment that uh, a row copy feature would be real handy. Are we going to see that? I still think it would be real handy. It is still on the roadmap. I think there's a, there's a collection of the bucket of usability improvements I would, I would name. Um, and personally, as a person who, as the PM, makes a ton of decision tables, I would very much like a row copy feature. <laughs> um, so it's on the list. I think that editing Excel and trying to get that 
over the line. And these great features we're releasing with San Diego are the big initiatives right now, but hoping to start filling out some of those other things that will just make the small things you do in Decision Builder easier, more enjoyable. Um, and I think the more the more customers we have using this tool, the more requests we're going to get. And, and I may regret saying this, but you know, I, my door is open. <laughs> send me your feedback, send me your, your hopes and dreams, and we'll see what we can do. Um, and we really do want Decision Builder and everything else we build around logic to be an intuitive experience for anyone using it and for it to feel like you you have a seamless process of being able to to create and manage and understand your logic. Great segue then. If your door is open, let them know how they can contact you. Great. Well, the best way to contact me is definitely email. Uh, my email is julia.perlis at servicenow.com. Um, I think we can probably put my LinkedIn in the show notes if you want to connect. But to be perfectly honest, I'm a real terrible LinkedIn messenger. Messenger. So if you message me on LinkedIn, I no, it's not personal if I don't respond. You might see it in a release or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I've, I make it a point to you know read my work emails. That seems important. But uh, all those peripheral services, I'm not very adherent. <laughs> All right. You don't have any personal websites or YouTube channel or anything at this no, point? No, I haven't started my influencer career yet. Leaving that to you for now, Chuck. I will also put in the link to the Creator Toolbox video from November in the link section of the show notes for this. You can find that on our developer portal or the community or the show notes in your podcast player should also have that if you want to find that. Thank you so much for joining us, Julia. Absolutely. Thank you as well. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget, we have many other podcasts. I'm having a lot of fun listening to one and the back episodes called Inside Work. So check those out and all our other ServiceNow podcasts over at servicenow.com slash podcast, or you can find them on the community under the resources menu. And I'm sure there are probably going to be a few more by the time this one's released as well. <laughs> You can get any or all of them, including this one, for absolutely free. You just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Breakpoint, and there it will be. Download it, and when you get the new episodes released from me, they automatically show up. It's a really cool technology that's been around for, oh, about 17 years. So that's a great way to get them automatically delivered to you. Once again, very much a pleasure talking to you, Julia, and I hope we have a chance to do this again real soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chuck. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. That's podcast experience. Glance over and make sure the counter is counting. I'm a fancy principal product manager. Does that mean you run the school? What a great idea. <laughs> we should do that more often. Anything else in San Diego? You... Sorry? Here's an editing point. <laughs>